0: I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing our thoughtful and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series.
1: This week we're talking about season one, Episode One, Emissary, teleplay by Michael Piller and directed by David Carson. This episode aired on January third, nineteen ninety-three.
0: This week on Deep Space Nine, we meet our new crew of Starfleet and Bajoran officers that take command of an abandoned Cardassian space station. Discoveries are made that have both personal and potentially galactic consequences. Oh my. Well, here we are, season one, episode one. Well, how did you feel about the episode, Elise? Well,
1: I, so I have to backtrack a little bit. The first time I watched this episode, I actually fell asleep. Um. Then I proceeded to take many months before going back and continuing to watch Deep Space Nine uh, without rewatching the pilot. So I do feel that having rewatched it this time was a completely different experience. I am a hundred percent sure it's because I'm. I've actually watched some of the Next Generation now. So I'm past um, the part where Picard was kidnapped by the Borg. So a lot of the interactions that happen at the beginning of this pilot make a lot more sense to me. So I guess that's what happens when you don't watch it in release order.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I definitely hear you there. And I do think that this episode is a bit stronger on a rewatch like i think in the grand scheme of star trek pilots and and star trek like first episodes this one is one of the the stronger ones but i think that's more of an indictment on how (laughs) i don't enjoy some of the other ones as in in contrast to this one but i definitely agree that i think it's it's stronger on a rewatch pilot's being that the first episode they have this role or this job to function as kind of a, a stage setting for the future right and I think where this episode really stands out for me and I'm sure we'll get into it a bit more later is all the stuff that has to deal with the wormhole the wormhole aliens and more specifically the exploration of Cisco's grief and the fact of where he's explaining what linear time is to the wormhole aliens excuse me um and how he can still exist in in the past despite linear time in that moment of of jennifer's death um i guess just a little bit more kind of tone setting and stuff before we kind of drive into some of the the discussion on the episode proper this deep space nine is the first spin-off of a Star Trek show that wasn't created by by Gene Roddenberry, right? So Gene Roddenberry creates the the original series back in the sixties. The T L S movies do well. He gets the opportunity to create Star Trek: for The Next Generation. Now Gene Roddenberry has has died, and we have um, Michael Piller and and Rick Berman creating. Um, this this new this new Star Trek and trying different things and instead of a instead of a starship um, boldly going, we have a a space station that, for all intents and purposes, is static. Even though it, it does <laughs> technically move a little bit over the course of the episode, which I kind of I always completely forget. You know, like, missed that the Watch first time, ago.
1: to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's like, oh yeah, I guess I guess that's that's the thing that they they do through through Chief O'Brien techno babble, um, but a lot of the the concept and the the kernel of the idea that grew into Deep Space Nine is the idea of DS Nine as a kind of frontier or kind of western town or settlement, so it's not. It's not boldly going but it's like this is the edge of the the frontier and you know this is our our western town or our shootout towns and and everything else like that which i think you can definitely see especially like early on um and how it how it's kind of set up and how some of the characters once we kind of talk about them more um speak about the show but all of that being said and i think this is kind of a wider criticism i have of, of a lot of Westerns in general, which I do like, I do, I do, I do enjoy a good Western, um, but especially like a neo-Western or a modern Western that needs to, I think, kind of wrestle with some of the more settler colonialist aspects of the idea of the western the western genre and manifest destiny that idea of uh, of america or or in the case of where i'm from listeners if you haven't figured it out yet by the by my accent canada um kind of expanding westward and displacing indigenous populations and committing genocide against indigenous populations and so
1: westerns are often told by like the white man perspective (laughs) um and i don't think in stark in this instance, we literally mean white man, but obviously the the colonialists are, you know, the perspective that we're, you know, kind of getting at the beginning.
0: No, exactly. And and I think that that is something in addition to the Cisco stuff and the, the wormhole stuff and wormhole alien. And I don't think... I don't think we actually hear the term prophets in this episode yet. We know we're explained that the orbs come to come to Bajor and they have a religious significance to the Bajorans, but I don't recall anyone talking about the prophets yet. The prophets being the Bajorans. Can, Bajoran can gods, I correct you? Here? And
1: <laughs> cause oh, um, go ahead, yes. Kai Opaka specifically tells um cisco that she cannot call for unity until the prophets are warned
0: <laughs> oh, okay no perfect there we go there we go i just it didn't it didn't stick out to me
1: i i think i, part of, I think uh, one of Thank the you. benefits of my watching with um the captions on is that i get a lot of the exact words of what's said in the episode No,
0: fair fair enough, and that's good. And I was was building up to this this point that I think we will probably hammer on, as especially as we go through the first season of Deep Space Nine. But they're definitely kind of figuring out what the show is and where it can go, and I think everything isn't kind of completely fleshed out yet. So I was building into kind of that that fact that they're you know kind of we haven't yet really explored Bajoran culture, which oh definitely I I don't think what I'm
1: what I. My correction negates your overall point, or anything oh, like that,
0: no, 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 not at all, not at all, not at all, but uh no that's that's good, thank you um yeah, no that's that's good, they definitely say it, but again, it's kind of like,
1: yeah, you still don't really know what the profits are, like it's not like that's you know explained no, and i and I think
0: the last time I rewatched the first season of Deep Space nine, something that really stood out to me is the ways in which the show is what the show grows into and the ways that it isn't quite yet yet like you'll have an episode that's like oh yeah this is essential deep space nine based on what i consider deep space nine to be about with the benefit of looking back after the whole breadth of the series and other ones like storyteller which i think is coming up in a couple weeks on um, which i'm like oh this doesn't like jive with the deep space nine i know it all so again kind of classic Trek first first season being a little bit rough i there. look
1: forward to um experiencing that as this will be my second time watching the show and seeing what is what i think was important overall versus just okay that was just an episode that we had and it's either good or bad on its own
0: Elise, you mentioned earlier that this is your first time re-watching this episode of deep space nine having seen star trek the next generation and being familiar with i think it's about the best of both worlds part, yes. parts one and two about wolf three five nine and picard being kidnapped by the borg and and turned into the so what why do you think you you benefited more enjoyed that stuff more in this episode having seen that? I was one if you could tell me a little bit yes. more about that
1: um i I honestly think that the reason that I think I benefit from that more is because not even in those two episodes, but in the episode after um, Best of Both Worlds family, you see how devastated Picard is over what he did and what, because he had no control over himself. And he's so... right. He's so upset and to see that and then now have someone who was affected by those actions reacting to you is just so much more interesting than if I hadn't seen how Picard felt about those six days when he had been kidnapped.
0: No, that, that makes sense. And I was doing a little bit of background research on the creation of the series and in in one of the, the books that I actually have on my bookshelf, um, the fifty year mission, the next twenty five years, is this really good um, oral history dual anthology that came out, um, I think in twenty sixteen for the fiftieth anniversary of the debut of Star Trek. But there's some some Michael Pillar, Mike, there are some Michael Pillar quotes from the the start of of Deep Space Nine, and Michael Pillar talks about how he wanted Deep Space Nine to start quote with a a bang with the the teaser in the episode that shows us the battle of Wolf 359 with the Klingon, or the Klingons, excuse me, with the Borg against Starfleet that we don't actually see on screen in Star Trek The Next Generation. And Pillar, a, a creator of the show, says, It was, of course, for me, who wrote the original Borg two-parter, a great opportunity. To go back and do some more was too irresistible. It also seemed to make sense to tie in the incident into comment commander Cisco's backstory to make that a to make that a backdrop of this man's life was not unusual because it was a backdrop of my life and in Rick's life being Rick Berman the uh, executive producer of track who uh shall we say is a bit yes, problematic we don't have nice um, things
1: to say about him
0: fuck Rick Berman all my home I hate Rick, Rick, Berman. Rick Berman but going back but going back it'll be a running theme in this podcast so if you are a rick Berman stand, yeah. don't us.
1: Um, Mo- But going back to, to pillar's
0: quote here yeah move along move along oh wait <laughs> wrong franchise sorry but going back to to pillar's quote here and we knew it would resonate with the fans that is tying in cisco's backstory to to the borg attack and, and wolf 359 Furthermore, we hope that Patrick Stewart would agree to do a guest shot, and the thought of putting our new hero, being Sisko, in direct conflict with Picard because he blames him for the death of a family
1: member just made us grin. (laughs) That seems like, uh, almost mean, (laughs) reading it that way. (laughs) Like, I mean, I don't think he meant it that way, but just the fact that they're, like, smiling about this. (laughs) You can't see me, but I'm doing, like, a, a dance when I said that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it was it was. I like that they did that, but just thinking about them like feeling good about this sad moment is funny to me.
0: Well, and I think too, where part of that is probably coming from, and I guess I think we had this later in the notes, but we can can bring it out now. Is there were certain rules that the writers' rooms had the writers' room had when it came to Star Trek. Right. And the writers, the TNG writers, especially, were the ones that kind of coined this. Something that they called the Roddenberry box, right? The the kind of box of structures of stories that they were allowed to write and create for next generation. One of the rules being, and I think this is the one that a lot of them kind of have complained about or or commented on in, in subsequent interviews over the last, you know, 35 years but that there couldn't be any conflict amongst starfleet crew members because in roddenberry's view of starfleet and kind of his his humanist view of of human progression and and evolution and all that stuff that humanity had had evolved beyond the need for those kind of conflicts which makes it really difficult when you're writing a television show to create interesting drama so i think in that that idea and again this being the first of the the post roddenberry shows um i can see pillar and the other writers being excited to have kind of your two leads of your new show your the lead of your new show in conflict with the beloved captain leader of of your old show right of the one that it's spinning off from so i i can see from like a writer's perspective how that would
1: that does make a lot more sense when you look at it from that perspective um the that concept is something you and i have spoken about i haven't done a lot of research on it so most of my knowledge about that is from matt um But I do think from that perspective, I can understand it being like a little wink, wink, nod, nod. Like, yeah, we were doing what we want now.
0: I appreciate all of that and how it would be entertaining for the writers to have that kind of conflict. But sometimes how we visualize things or how writers visualize things in the writer's room can have, I think, unintended consequences with bad faith actors within like a fandom actors in the like people sense not the, yeah like, i knew what on, you meant on star trek sense necessarily yeah but when deep space 9 came out as is want with you know a lot of star trek fans aren't unique to this but any kind of you know major fandom is Deep Space Nine wasn't welcomed and embraced early by some corners of the fandom, much like you see now with kind of some of the the newer Star Treks and everything else. And one of the complaints I remember kind of reading at the time, but more so have have gone back and and read later because I was I was a little mm-hmm. I was a I was a youngin when <laughs> Deep Space Nine premiered in 1993. But a lot of folks thought this Cisco was quote too angry in this episode and especially took issue with that scene where we have him and Picard in the ready room of the enterprise. And, you know, Cisco is still living in his grief. Like Jennifer, Cisco, his wife died in battle. And, and he doesn't know Picard from a, from a hole in the wall. He just knows him as being the person who was L'Acutus who led that battle for the Borg. Right. Um, But fans just thought Cisco was like, too angry with Picard and just didn't like him and blah 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 and I I think it's worth calling out that I I a lot of that would be rooted in either overt racism or internalized racism because Cisco is is our first kind of black captain and I just think I mean yeah Star Trek fans are are or certain sections of the Star Trek fandom are bad about accepting anything that's new, but they're coming at it from like a bad perspective and kind of having those kind of, you know, institutionalized, structuralized kind of racist attitudes that are more inclined to be mad at a black man for being quote, too angry at their nice British captain who just quotes about Shakespeare and you know, all these other quintessential kind of western art things. I'm not right?
1: surprised by any of that, but I find it so ridiculous because not one of those thoughts is what went through my mind when I was watching this episode. I was actually happy that they didn't do like a traditional quote unquote angry black man trope. I I mean he there's parts of the episode where he's so joyful. And he's clearly been through trauma, as we said, and he's handling it as best as he can. And at the beginning of the episode, he obviously, you know, in that scene, he he tells Picard he doesn't know that he wants to stay on Deep Space Nine. But throughout the entire episode, he's putting on this like face, brave face for his son and just taking care of his son and like the way he looks at him in the eyes. And I just... It feels so warm to me as character traits. So to think that he's too angry, just while I understand that, you know, people are are going to be racist and not know how to talk about race in a nuanced way, that to me, it just, I didn't get any of that from that scene at all.
0: And I think what stands out, or one of the things I should say that that stands out to me rewatching this pilot is how Benjamin Cisco is a three dimensional, fully realized human with a lot of nuance, both in the writing, but then especially in Avery Brooks's performance of Cisco, especially in contrast to let's talk about like Encounter at Firepoint, the Next Generation pilot, where. Again, because of a lot of those those rules, and again, the characters did evolve a little bit on, or did evolve on, on TNG, and we did, you know, lots of us did, myself included, did, did grow to love them. But they're more archetypes a lot than they are three-dimensional characters, and I think based on some of what we've seen so far it's a bit of a mixed bag in terms of our regular cast of of Deep Space 9 just up to this this pilot and who's introduced and who gets meaty stuff to dive into and and Cisco is is the lead so of course he's going to get the most in this this episode but he is a fully realized three-dimensional human being and that's not something up to this point we got a lot. Yeah, I would agree. I don't
1: I honestly don't remember what even happens in the TNG pilot, but I remember watching it and thinking Picard's a dick like the whole time. So, I think that you're not wrong. Like he was just like very rigid. I don't know if that was just if it was written that way or that was how the acting came across, but completely different.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, Get off, Get off kind of relate to that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't Fair. actually hate kids, people. It's just a bit. Sorry. So it's funny that the first time I watched this episode, I fell asleep and then never went back to it. Because now I can't watch it without weeping openly <laughs> for a lot of it. Uh it makes me very emotional. One of the real good things about this episode, I think, is how they introduce a lot of the new characters slowly. They don't just throw them all at you at once. We kind of, right. you know, where's where's the medical staff and the science officer? Oh, they're coming tomorrow. It kind of reminded me of Star Trek Generations. Oh, it's being installed on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: the doctor and the science officer are coming on Tuesday. I hope it was a Tuesday. Um, No, (laughs) but before we kind of, and I think that's a next logical place for us to to move into is to kind of like talk about our our main cast a bit there. Um, But before we move into that, just something I did want to kind of call out, and I think it's it's coming out to me based on our, our discussion is... How Deep Space Nine being an, at least, I mean, being a next generation spinoff and starting with that kind of Star Warsian crawl of of context about Picard and the Borg, and then being able to have the budget in a feature length episode to show us a a space battle with the Borg, um, I wonder how uninviting that can be to like initial like first time viewers. Right, because I think something the original Star Trek and TNG do early on is kind of, and it's even something I think that Star Trek two thousand nine, the the movie did, is in in bringing in new people and new audiences. First, first being for fans of like the current show. So I, I kind of like, I just wonder about that and like how, if you had never watched Star Trek before, like is that is that enough? Would you find like. I don't know. Just something um, I've been
1: thinking about. I think, I think for me, I, I, as I said, I was, I like, I wasn't into it the first time, and I think that was part of, part of it. But because I had gone to see the "What We Left Behind" documentary before starting it, I had taken my mother to see it. I knew I would get there eventually with the series. Like, if I didn't see that, I don't know that I would have continued
0: all right well if it it works for you elise why don't we we check in with our our main cast of of deep space nine kind of more or less in the their order they're introduced and then we can kind of dive into some of the the other kind of you know stuff with with cisco and the the wormhole and and all of that that after and just in listeners in case you uh missed our our preview episode zero uh please go back and listen to it but in case you don't our whole intent for this podcast generally this is a little bit of a different episode because it's the the pilot and and feature length and and structure differently but we're more interested in talking about character and theme on this podcast than we are necessarily a beat by ba- beat by beat excuse me recap of of the episode so we will talk about our responses kind of some of the, the main thrusts and and plot stuff in this episode kind of at, at the end but if you're looking for a beat by beat plot recap response of the episode that's gonna generally come out more in kind of our, our contextual discussions and that's not at least at this point how we're we're structuring the yeah the we're, we're not so, thank <laughs> we're you not for gonna do a book us. report
1: um episode
0: (laughs) who knows maybe we'll start blogging on on the website later and we can can post recaps hmm. there but uh, no promises (laughs) selected recaps based on episodes we like or don't like I feel like I feel like don't like is
1: more um, likely to occur but anyway (laughs) alright
0: so let's do you want to just kind of like a bit of a I don't want to say quick fire because I don't want to limit us into it, at least. But uh, let's talk about our our main cast and our characters, and then kind of get into the the meat yeah. of our episode here today. So first things first, we've already talked about a little bit. We have Commander Benjamin yes, Sisko. Um,
1: as we said, he um, lost his wife Jennifer on the USS Saratoga when Picard was assimilated in the Borg, and at the and at the beginning of the episode, he doesn't know if he wants to stay on Deep Space Nine because it's not the might not be the best situation for his son. He's raising his son Jake alone, um, and his son is going to live with wherever he lives. He's not, you know, having him unlike unlike Worf. He's not having him uh, live with his dad. <laughs>
0: That's one of the beats that, like, I don't know if I super love in this episode. And again, I know the idea—the pilot is like threading things to be potentially picked up again later. But like, here's this new series. It's set on a space station. Cisco is our lead character. Like, of course he's gonna stick around. Like, (laughs) I like, like I get it. I get how it, like, it works and it speaks to kind of that that three-dimensional characterization of, of Cisco, which I do like, but it's just like, no, you're the, you're the lead actor on the show. You're like number one on the call sheet. like, we know you're staying. Even if he wasn't like the the
1: lead, it kind of reminds me of, um, the first episode of Downton Abbey where like Mr. Bates starts and like, they don't know that he needs a cane to walk around with. And that there's concern about him not wanting, I don't, this is real off topic. Um, not wanting, um, not sure if he can do his job well, and then he's going to leave. And then at the end, they're like, no, you have to stay. And it was like, "You, we always knew that was going to happen. So it's the it, same vibe, even though Mr. Bates is not the main character, thankfully, of Downson Abbey.
0: But at the same time we're, we're introduced in to Benjamin Sisko shortly after, we we're interv- introduced to his son, Jake Sisko. And I think kids on Star Trek is interesting to me and I think something that I'm, I'm looking forward to, to continuing to kind of watch in the thread and knowing kind of where where Jake ends up but then watching the, the journey a bit is that kind of compare and contrast with Wesley Crusher on Next Generation being these are, you know, DS9 is a direct spin off of Next Generation and we had a kid character on Next Gen, now we have a kid character on, on Deep Space Nine, so... It is, I think, a bit fair to compare and contrast them and how the writers deal with them and, and what they do with them. But I did really like Jake in this episode, especially for the father-son relationship between himself and and Ben Sisko and like how much of Jake functioning as kind of the son character brings out some of those, as I've mentioned before, those those three dimensions of yeah, specifically that
1: one scene where they first get there and Jake is like complaining that there's they don't even have beds and um Cisco take like l- takes his face in his hands and looks at him and is like he, I don't remember his exact words, but his his tone is like we're going to get through this. It will everything will be fine. And whether or not Cisco believes it, he is very convincing. So I just feel like he's very good at taking, he he seems to be really good at taking care of his son. The first episode or two of TNG, I found Wesley to be a a little bit annoying. I never felt that way with Jake. Um, But by the time Wesley is like, getting into starfleet academy i just watched that recently so his one of his last episodes i don't know if he ever comes back who knows um i mean you guys probably all know <laughs>
0: i mean i know i don't know it's
1: whatever it's not a you know i don't i don't um, it's not a spoiler either way for me i don't care about that but um i was crying in that episode where he where picard's telling him he's proud of him and everything so i just feel like i really came around on wesley but i remember from last time watching deep space 9 that i liked jake the entire time and it's it was so weird right. to go back and watch this episode and see how tiny he is he's so tall
0: i know so small have you
1: seen a picture small. of him lately small, jake. he's so he's he's a lar- he's a large good looking man <laughs> anyway
0: Indeed. Indeed. And also has his own Deep Space Nine podcast. But we're not (laughs) here. Oh, yes.
1: You're not supposed to talk about the competition. I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) I don't. Anyway, we'll probably cut that joke out. No worries.
1: Anyway. Oh, yeah. So while, uh, when Ben. Cisco and Jake Sisko get onto Deep Space Nine. They are talking with Chief Miles O'Brien just off the Enterprise. He's gonna be the engineering chief on Deep Space Nine. So this episode was almost a goodbye for him from TNG. So it was it was a transition episode for Miles as well. It would have been nice to see keiko
0: miles's wife who we, we yes. saw them get married on on next gen and he does he does reference her um
1: yes as soon as she saw deep space nine she wanted to go visit her mother yeah. and it would have <laughs> been that was funny yeah. no it, it was and it, it I'm a, i'm a keiko stan over here i love her so much
0: yeah and it would it would have been nice to see her in this episode because rosalind chow does you know reprise her role um spoilers alert for like a 30 year old television show but does reprise her role (laughs) um as Keiko O'Brien on Deep Space Nine but it's more of like a reoccurring or like guest starring role um and we'll we'll...
1: yeah because she kind of they she kind of gets her own story but off screen but yeah Yeah, and
0: and I think they don't it'll just be interesting and I, I anticipate We'll have have Keiko thoughts as we we kind of go along with kind of what the show show does with her and, and Miles and kind of how they they portray their their marriage and and everything like that. But it would have would have been nice to see Keiko. I wonder what her and Molly were up to when the station was in such such disarray.
1: Hmm.
0: Miles does get to oh Molly yeah. Miles does get to do some <laughs> uh, some classic Starfleet engineering though. So. He's better. Yes, he's, he he's he's the person that we as the audience at the time airing in nineteen ninety-three were we're supposed to know and, and be comfortable with and familiar. So I don't think he gets a lot a lot of exploration this episode. We do get that nice kind of scene with him and Picard as the send off, like you say, Elise. But uh, not much new from him there because from a meta perspective, he's the one that we we know the most on the show, aside from card who's who's guest starring in that kind of tradition at the time that was started by deforest kelly's McCoy being in the next generation pilot of this era of star trek each new episode having a a cameo from a a previous from the previous series or or as close to it as as possible next we meet kira major oh oh, real
1: real real quick I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my favorite scene with O'Brien is when the transporter isn't working, when he's trying to get Odo back from the Cardassian ship, and he just hits it, and it works. And I was just like, yep, that's our resident cishet male of the show, just smashing something and getting it to work. Well, <laughs> if it's
0: any consolation... anyway. <laughs> o'brien does suffer a lot in the rest of tng and the o'brien yes, episodes become true. a he's a nice guy let's put him uh, through yeah. hell so maybe
1: there's some kind of like yeah. <laughs> cosmic justice there that's at play <laughs> yes that's true so um, next we have major kira narice um kira is bajoran and She is not interested in the Federation being at Deep Space Nine at all. She's very skeptical. Um, She makes a lot of assumptions about everyone, about Cisco, about Starfleet. Okay, but she's not totally wrong, though. No, she's definitely not wrong. They're clearly trying to get Bajor into the Federation.
0: No, no, you're you're exactly right. And I think kind of going back to what we were talking about before, it definitely stuck out to me that as one of those cheats out of the the Roddenberry box we talked about before, is Star Trek uses alien characters or non-human characters a lot to be kind of more human than human or be kind of closer to like a 20th century human because they're allowed then to create drama under under those rules there, right? So Kira definitely stuck out to me as someone who was there to narratively function for the writers to kind of create conflict. But I think... I think she's really... I mean, full disclosure, and I might as well get this out now for our listeners. Um, Kira is tied with Spock for my favorite Star Trek ter- character of all time. Um, we stand a legend. We we, we love a, a freedom fighter. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of Kira's criticisms on the Federation, I think ring ring true for me and then the ways that the Federation and this may, may be a, a, a hot take but uh, the way the Federation can represent a colonial power as well and again especially in the context of setting up Deep Space Nine as this kind of ex- frontier town and all the manifest destiny baggage that, that can come with it. I don't think she's necessarily wrong and there are also flavors of post-World War II in Earth history and that for me and the idea of the Marshall Plan and the, the US helping to rebuild Europe um, not necessarily on the ideas of self-determination that you know nations should have the ability to choose their own form of governments but the Marshall Plan existed to create governments that were the way the U.S. wanted to see them, right, and and, and things like that. Like you have self determination, the right to join the federation, basically, and we're here to support you, but we want you to join, and and things of things of that nature. Um, I do want to call out or, or kind of mention as well, in case our listeners aren't aware, is that K- the Kira Arise, the first officer character, the Bajoran liaison um, officer, was originally sub- conceived when the show was being developed as another character, another reoccurring character from Star Trek The Next Generation, who I think she's primarily in Season 5, so I don't think you you have met her, Elise, yet then. But she's another Bajoran character. Um, was one of our first Bajoran characters, actually, in, in Star I, Trek.
1: I was wondering if there were Bajoran characters on... Um the next generation because i haven't i don't think i've met any yeah i think you're on season four so
0: i think this character i'm thinking of is is season five
1: yeah okay when
0: when miles is is explaining kira a bit to to cisco he talks about have you served with any bajoran women before and he's going through this like (laughs) you know tough cookie female archetype um um, characteristics (laughs) those are ones that that kira shares with this this tng character and even to the the fact that I'm assuming it's a wig. I don't know. Listeners tweeted us if, if you know either way. But the hair that um, the na no, is sporting this episode is Kira. Is
1: It's is, not a good no, wig in my no, opinion. And, it, and it's a very similar
0: it's... style to what this TNG character wears. And I'm glad that as soon as next episode they kind of give Kira that yeah. more distinctive
1: yes the wig was throwing me off the entire episode i'm pretty it's gotta be i don't like
0: it's gotta be a wig
1: (laughs) i hope so sorry nana if it's your real hair apologies (laughs) like it just was so it was just not it wasn't good i was like is that my hair during covid (laughs) maybe like no my hair doesn't even look that bad but yeah that wig was not great but she's great. And we love her. Next we meet Constable Odo. A cab. Like, you know. He's a changeling. Which um they don't use that word in this episode. um, So you don't really know what he is. But you can see that he can morph into things. Um, there's that scene where someone, you know, that, that thief is throws something at him and it goes through him and um yeah he's he's our resident cop so yeah he has a lot of uh hard-ass opinions
0: and i think odo for (laughs) me is where that whole idea of deep space nine is like the western town really stands out for me because he's very much like you say the uh the sheriff character of like like the town and like I guess then too the the next care we talk character we talk about and oda's relationship with him probably is the the most western thing about deep space Nines the whole sheriff and the like unscrupulous bartender um
1: oh yeah, totally, <laughs> but yeah, i
0: not to like box us in too too much of what's to come, but I definitely anticipate lots lots of uh complex thoughts when it comes to to odo i think there's there's definitely a lot of good in there and there's definitely some of them some deep deep sighs and uh, eye rolls and and everything else there um but in terms of just like this episode specifically i did find his line of when he goes in the the runabout to try and beat the cardassians to the the wormhole after it's discovered where he's like i was found in the denorius belt i want to go maybe wherever i come from is on the other side of that wormhole etc etc it was a little bit awkward to me like it didn't make sense for that character to be be saying that at the time to me but again it's a little awkward but it's the pilot and they're like you know putting threads that future writers can can pull on and adding pieces to the the mystery and the the characterization so i get it and i'll allow it but it just was like the, oh here's your <laughs> your featured character piece in the episode but uh is what it is
1: yeah yeah, it definitely came out of nowhere and obviously wasn't addressed again in the episode. Um, but yeah, as you said, it's the pilot and they're going to just throw random things out there for future stories or not future stories. You know, don't want to give anything away, but you, n- you never know what can be pulled from this episode for later.
0: I do think as well that it's... Um interesting to me that Odo again has basically been the security constable, been the sheriff under the Cardassian rule, under the Cardassian occupation of Bajor and he gets to keep his job and now he's working for for the Bajorans. That's, uh, it's an interesting it choice.
1: Abso- it makes absolutely no sense to me and it makes me wonder if he was I don't know like it it really just doesn't make any sense like that A he and Kira would get along if he was working with the Cardassians in that role and they seem to have a good working relationship like she clearly trusts him at the the beginning of the episode when they were um, with the uh, I guess there was like an incident or whatever and he you know there are talking back and forth and you just hear their their repertoire repertoire i can't pronounce that word you can hear that
0: they have rapport right
1: yeah thank you um yeah so you can hear their um rapport and it just it's not even i mean i i'm trying to i'm trying to think like even if he was somehow forced to work and that's why he got to keep his job because he's not like with the Cardassians. They wouldn't force someone to be that in a constable role. Like, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me.
0: If I recall correctly, the like character concept is thus that Odo has this strong sense of justice and right and wrong. And that he was able to work for the Cardassians, but also advocate for those the Cardassians were oppress oppressing in the bajorans so it's like he served justice and governments didn't matter to him and he's like this this noble watcher who who believes in in this kind of cosmic justice if you will without the religious overtones obviously but this kind of sense of justice having a objective right and wrong despite you know who the ruling class is at the time. And I just, I don't know. It's, we'll talk about. It's very oh, idealistic.
1: Yeah. I just think it's so idealistic. I, I can't think of anyone like in real life that really lives that way. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a,
0: it's a choice.
1: I mean, you would, I feel like you would, you know, I can, I can understand wanting, you know, judges and like a real court system to to think that way but i just it doesn't seem realistic to me not to get into politics but you know it's star trek and there's always been politics in star trek so it's going to come up from time to time
0: yeah we have complex auto thoughts
1: (laughs) we'll call him out when he does shitty things and we'll we'll love him when he does lovely things and will cringe when he does
0: cringe things because those happen (laughs) too
1: yeah
0: so if odo is one half of the the coin the other half of the coin is our ferengi bartender quark who runs the the bar the gambling establishment we find out later he he has the only hollow suites on the station and uh yeah, his his nephew Nog, who we're also introduced in this episode, gets in trouble and uh Cisco decides to enter negotiations with Quark over what what he wants Quark to do and uses Nog as a, a bit of a, a bargaining chip.
1: Yeah, so Quark is planning on leaving because the station's pretty tr- trashed from the Cardassians leaving. They really they Basically imply that they lo- looted all of the shops on the promenade, and a lot of people that were living there have lost everything they have. So Cork is one of the people that is planning to leave because you know things are in shambles, and Cisco wants to have him stay because he's like people have to, some people have to live here, and they they need some form of entertainment, otherwise. It's just gonna be a ghost town, as he says. So he um I thought that was so smart of Cisco. He just has really good instincts. I'm I feel like right off the bat. Smart negotiator.
0: No, I mean like he, he understands the the Ferengi and the Ferengi ethos and like you say, he's 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 shrewd and able to kind of negotiate through that. Um, and Quark is of course played by Armin Shimerman, who also played some of the first Ferengi in the first season of the last Star Trek series, the Next Generation, which I think is the last outpost. If I'm
1: wrong, please tweet at us. Um, I thought it looked from he looked familiar. I didn't. I, when I was watching season one of TNG, I didn't look up um, the actors playing the Ferengi, but they all they looked familiar so i'm not surprised that armin was at least one of them
0: yeah and and something that was definitely him and something that he's talked about subsequently over the years was feeling unsatisfied with how the ferengi were portrayed in that initial initial episode and looking at deep space nine is very much a bit of a, a reclamation project for for the ferengi as a culture and being able to to dive into them a bit more so that's definitely something i think to to think about as we we go through and and learn more about about quark and the ferengi as we go through the series
1: yeah i so a lot of people have ferengi opinions and i have ferengi opinions and while as a society i wouldn't want to be part of part of it. I absolutely love the Ferengi. I find them hysterical and I l- try to look at it... I look at them satirically, almost. And so the the really... There, there's a few uh, cringe Ferengi episodes that we're going to uh, go through oh, sh- as man, we go through this show. This, aren't we? Ugh. And I... Yeah, we're gonna have to talk about them. Sorry, all I didn't
0: mean
1: to interrupt you. No, 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 you're fine. But like, I don't. I just feel like I, I just try to see them as satire, and I love when the Ferengi do exactly what you expect them to do. <laughs> it, it's very funny to me. So that's it'll be fun.
0: I think here we'll have fun. I think you're exactly right at that like Frankie are very much I think supposed to be a satire on like 20th century humanity right um yeah
1: for sure which
0: like a lot of things is when it comes to sat like a lot like a lot of things when it comes to satire are going to be hit or miss unfortunately and we'll we'll praise when we like it and we'll call out when we don't and that's that's part of kind of the whole idea of love doing the show right so excited yeah. to get and when it. we
1: don't yeah and when we don't like something i'm i will be curious to look through and i didn't do that for this episode but um i will be curious to find out how it was received at the time when it aired to see because obviously there's been a lot of cultural change between when this aired and 2021 so things are going to Come out differently, so it'll be interesting to look at that. Not to steal from your other podcast, still great, Bob, where you do that with Mad Men, but I think it will work for us also
0: oh, here, totally. And and like again, what we talked about in our our preview episode, that I think is part of the idea in, in wanting to to do this project and, and kind of dive into the show too, right? Because like the show stage stays the same, and like. We, as people who experience time linear, linearly, as the episode explains, nice segue, Matt. Pat him back. Yay. Um, <laughs> as humans who experience time, we change, right? And the work stays the same. And what can it say about us and our attitudes? And like, it's it's mileposts on our journey through linear time, right? So that's why I'm, why I wanted to to rewatch Deep Space Nine again and talk about it with you and talk about it with you with our our listeners so I'm I'm excited to to get into it
1: as am I I'm also excited to discuss my favorite character of Star Trek Lieutenant Jadzia Dax
0: so
1: she's my absolute favorite I drank out of my Jadzia Dax coffee mug today (laughs) Um, it's like a 16 ounce mug I can um fit a lot of coffee in there. It's great um she is the science officer and she's trill and she is the current host of the Dex I don't do they, the symbi Symbiont um the previous host of the Dak Symbiont was friends with Cisco. So they have a lot of shared memories and um a history. So they have a lot of shared memories, and actually Cisco calls her old man as a reference to that in like a smirky, smiley kind of funny way.
0: I was gonna ask you about the old man thing because that's something that I know it's intended to be that kind of friendly and cheeky and, and cute in a reference to Dax and, and Cisco's shared history. But I was curious what you thought about it, Elise, both the first time you watched it and then rewatching this, this episode now.
1: Um, I don't remember what I thought the first time, but I do remember, I don't think that my opinion of it in general has changed from the first time I watched the whole series, I think it's endearing and cute. Jazzy clearly doesn't mind, but obviously she's written to not mind. The writers decided that. But I can understand if it bothers people. Um, She is a woman. And um, so me liking it, you know, it's okay if you don't. I'm not going to die on the hill that it's the best thing ever. But um, yeah, I kind of, I find it endearing. Right. Do you have different thoughts no, about it? No, I I don't. And I think that you.
0: You keyed in on the most kind of essential thing there, right? The idea that like, Jedzia doesn't doesn't seem to mind, and I would hope, if she did mind, she would say something to to Cisco. And again, like I think it, it's it's taken as it's it's meant to, and they do have have history um so it it it, like on one level like i'm i'm able and willing to take it at at face value um i can just yeah no i'm i'm able to take it at at face value
1: yeah i think because her the previous host curzon dax was older than cisco that jadzia would would definitely say something if she had a problem with it because she is technically older than him, and you can tell she's comfortable like she even though he's her superior, she calls him Benjamin at times, so they do have a rapport where they can be honest with each other,
0: yeah, and I guess with the trill being a joint species and the the worm (laughs) essentially the symbiote inside her is
1: i've been calling it her (laughs) wormy which sounds dirty but it is what it is it's a worm yeah so her
0: worm does have the relationship (laughs) with with benjamin and her host has changed so like he's calling the worm that like it's it's alien and it's thorny and it's again if, if someone's calling you something you don't like or whatever just tell them and if they're a good friend they'll or a good human being i should say they'll they'll stop doing it. So that, and that's where I like I'm willing to take it at face value. And I just wonder too if some of my little bit like, oh, how do I feel this comes up in kind of more of the the analysis level of the episode and how a lot of queer folks have like for various various reasons of like connected with the trill. Um and kind of different different things. And like different aspects of you know different gender expressions and, and things like that and, and connecting with different parts of, of Trill society and with that and I, I mean there's that meme too that talks about i mean spoilers i think it's a season two maybe a season three episode but there's that meme that listeners may have seen where a klingon character that knew occurs on calls jedzi occurs on and says my old friend and then Jadzia goes I'm Jadzia now and then the Klingon goes Jadzia my old friend and doesn't dead name her and like the the meme is based on like how Klingons are trans allies so maybe like that's where I think some of my hmm is coming from in that question but I think at least you're 100% correct in that like it's, it's Jadzia clearly doesn't mind so
1: I remember that scene that you're talking about and it was really well done I thought how the Klingon i don't remember who it was but it was just like oh jedzia yeah how you said and it was just really nice that nobody made a big deal about it at the time yeah and we do have
0: no totally totally agree and there are some like slight changes to the trail as as we knew them in this in this episode um the trail were introduced in an in episode of Next Gen in late season four, I think it was, called called The Host. And the makeup was different, and some of the, the stuff about the, the symbiote stuff was a little bit different. But I did want to call out, again, because we said that Rick Berman is not Great Bob. Um, that partially the reason that the the makeup was changed was because of of Rick Berman kind of his his treatment of women on Star Trek. Um, and the original show makeup was much like you see in a lot of aliens of the week in Star Trek was a, a forehead up a prosthetic forehead application like a forehead bump and if you google around you can see pictures of of terry farrell in the original trail makeup it doesn't have the the spots or anything and rick berman decided that because uh, judzia was a lady and needed to look as attractive as possible they would change the makeup and draw the the spots on like they had done for a different alien race when fam k jansen was a guest star on on next generation so
1: so even even that even though i love jadzia and i think she looks great i'm making like a barf um motion with my hand so i i do that know. anytime
0: i think or see a picture of rick Berman. <laughs> rick Berman, so, Berman so, you know
1: barf yep i have about six episodes until i get to that tng episode i just looked it up yeah it's it's well so, I'll, I'll be able to uh, well, we'll, well, I'll talk to you about it another time. Yeah. But yeah, I look forward to watching that. It's
0: a Crusher episode too, so lots oh. to look forward to.
1: My other, <laughs> my other girlfriend. You go.
0: I guess just on a, a similar kind of note before we move off of of Dax and Terry Farrell Um, Terry Farrell of course being the actor who portrays Jadzia has spoken about a lot of the kind of conflicting feedback or perspective she was given about who Jadzia is during this early run on on DS9 she's talked about how one minute minute they would tell her that she was 300 years old and needed to be this kind of Yoda like character and, and sage and wise and in the next she's supposed to be this young demure kind of grace kelly so it's like again they didn't know what they wanted from the character and it's tough as an actor when the writers and the producers don't know who the character is to give them what they want because they don't know what they want right
1: yeah um and obviously this is the first episode so i don't think jedzia's character is fully fleshed oh, out not. um i don't i I think as time goes by they definitely um figure out, I guess, how you know, her her character's personality and she does an excellent job. And I am I really like how strong her character becomes. Like she sticks up for herself and it's just I don't know. I find her very inspiring.
0: And arriving with Jadzia on Deep Space Nine is our, our chief medical officer, Dr. Julian Bashir, who admittedly doesn't get a lot to do in this episode, but he is part of one of my my favorite scenes in the episode. How did, how did you feel about Julian?
1: Um, I laughed hysterically when Julian's first lines of the episode were, Hey, I just met you. And this is crazy, but... Here's my number, so call me maybe. <laughs> he like asks Jadzia out in the first second it, it's his first line in the episode, and Kira and Cisco are just standing there, like Kira's standing so close to them, just like staring at the scene, and it was the funniest, most ridiculous thing ever. He's so pervy. I'm like, you have to work with this person. Don't ask out your coworkers. Unless it's very explicit that they're okay with it. But it's just, I don't want to say never. I mean, obviously, people have um, different views on that. But maybe don't ask out your coworkers on the first day of work. That's probably a good um, outlook on life. And probably not in front <laughs> of your boss, either. Yeah. <laughs> that's just... Well, both of your bosses. Yeah, right? They're, I mean, they're both, like... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Uh so he's just ridiculous. But on the other hand, I like how although I would say he's also naive, I do like that he's idealistic and fascinated with everything, but maybe not in the most self-aware way. Cuz he offends Kira pretty early on. Yeah, when um he's yeah, he's talking about all the good work he's going to do out here like it's you know the middle of nowhere and she's like you know we I live here this is my home you know
0: exactly and that w- that was one of my ac- favorite moments in the episode is w- where bashir's checking out Sickbay and talks about how he could have had had any job he wanted in the fleet and he chose this post So coffee. exactly and he chose this posting because of <laughs> quote frontier medicine and uh just that idea again <laughs> to come back to their on this idea of you know the western town and the manifest destiny and the whole settler colonial aspect it's like here he is the the settler coming in to bring these all his his knowledge to share with the the less enlightened you know indigenous folk and and Kira rightly like calls him out on it and like all the power to you Kira thank you she
1: yeah she clearly was like oh you're gonna help the natives or whatever her line is but she she She's on top of her game. I think he has a lot to learn, maybe not about medicine, but in general about people
0: yep yeah, i I would agree I would agree
1: on our last um character that is introduced in this episode is the Cardassian Gul Dukat. He was previously the prefect of Bajor. And he there is definitely an... He's definitely the antagonist of this episode. And it's clear that he and Major Kira do not like each other. And that is probably an understatement.
0: And he's definitely set up as as kind of our, our anti-Zisko in a way, right? Like as kind of cisco's cisco's opposite because when he's introduced he, he talks about how cisco's desk used to be his and and so on and so forth and again he, he's a recurring character not one of the the main cast but someone that we definitely thought were was worth at least uh mentioning in this episode that it's it's introduced and then i think the the other, other person I wanted to to mention in this episode who I think is of, of significance is Kyle Paca. Because um, Kira, Kira calls out the uh, political situation on, on Bajor and how the provisional government who invited the Federation to take over the space station and administer it with the Bajorans is um, on thin ice. It's at risk of fracturing and Bajor's at risk of, of civil war. And the only person who can bring them together is Kai Opaka, Kai being the the basically the Bajoran Pope. The the head of their the Bajoran <laughs> space pope, the head of their, their religion and the person who space can pope. can reunite the uh
1: oh. Instead of the ring, you have to kiss the earring. Exactly,
0: <laughs> you have to joking. grab the ear.
1: You have to grab the ear, uh, or let, them, oh, yeah. let the space poke paw. grab your
0: ear and check your paw. Um, <laughs>
1: I wanted, I wanted to say one more thing about go- Oh go- Scott, no, real go quick. Ahead. No, 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 you're fine. It's more about Cisco. You know, Cisco invited him into his previous, his old office just to like fuck with him. Like he just wanted to see how he, he wanted to see how he would react. And to throw him off his game a little bit, so he is a shrewd negotiator. More, more points to, more points to Cisco. He's there's a lot going on there. Um, when Caio Paco was checking uh, Cisco's paw and like squeezing his ear, I was like, it looked so painful.
0: It it really did. And then I I guess then, <laughs> uh, was your understanding that the paw like was akin to like a soul or some kind of like Um, soul type concept
1: i don't know that i necessarily thought of it that way um mostly because my brain doesn't doesn't do that so much um i am i just i'm a atheist Jew here so soul is not even something I think about ever but I just thought it was um which I guess is just a terminology difference because I think what I'm about to explain what I thought it was is probably what some other people would say is a soul I just um maybe the person's essence like what kind of person they were I guess that might be a soul to
0: their connection to the force.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, so it probably is the same thing as what someone else might call a soul. But for me, it was just like their, their essence, just, um, you know, if they're a good person or well-meaning, that kind of thing. Which probably is what a soul, but anyway, well,
0: we're not a philosophy podcast, so I don't think we need to necessarily <laughs> answer what the <laughs> the question of of what is a soul um
1: yeah, I am definitely not a religious expert over here, and a lot of religious stuff goes over my head, which I is fine um, but I always love listening to Matt talk about um religion though, so. That might be something that we can look forward to, and I'm being extremely serious in that. I do, I do enjoy that.
0: I mean, there is a reason that Kira is one of my favorite Star Trek characters, and it <laughs> probably activates those those parts of my interests and my brain. But that that is what it is, and we'll we'll kind of get into it. Um, yeah, so that's kind of it in terms of the the kind of main cast, and again, we're kind of <laughs> in episode. One breaking of the the format that we'll have for for later episodes, just because it is unique and the the pilot. But before we pivot to our our regular sections in in our our Alter Thirst Quencher and our Most Star Trek Moment, I did just want to dive into to some of the the Cisco and the Celestial Temples, Cisco and in, in the wormhole stuff, because I think when this episode is really like good to me is in this very kind of star Trekking and explanation between a human starfleet officer and these these higher power aliens about something about the human experience right and that kind of exploration and, and time and how we deal with time and the some of the seeming logical inconsistencies in the nature of of humanity so, I guess, Elise, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Is what did you think of the Cisco talking to the, the wormhole alien stuff?
1: Um, I, I loved it. And I really loved the idea of using the physical form of people that Cisco knows in, in real life or knew in real life to kind of help him through this journey. Because while it's probably comforting at first, it's off-putting that they're not acting the same way that the in-real-life person would act. Um, So he's seeing flashes of his past, and he's talking with people who he thinks he knows, Jennifer, people that were on the USS Saratoga, his son, and they're actually these aliens or prophets they don't know what time is he's at first it feels like he's on some like really fun acid trip um it's just it's weird and it kind of reminded me of a dream because things just cut back and forth so it wasn't really i mean obviously it was on purpose but it it wasn't linear um to use the word that they use in the episode it's I just loved the idea that they thought he was a threat and he basically has to prove to them that he's a good person and that humans can be good and how that relates to time and you're not, you can't go back and, yeah, I... I liked that the prophets were as interested in him as he was interested in finding out, like, what the hell was going on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, they really were. Once they. Once he was, you know, saying, I'm human, et cetera, et cetera, they were like, well, they wanted to seek other life forms and find out about them. So I thought that was really interesting.
0: As Cisco is explaining linear time to these aliens that is- ostensibly have made the only stable wormhole known to man and have created and sent these these powerful um, artifacts or objects in the orbs to Bejor, who live outside linear existence. As he explains it to them, they get confused because not only have they not experienced existence in that way not only is that foreign to them they can can read into ben's mind and his his paw his connection with the force or however we want to want to look at it or, or explain it and they're perplexed as to what ben is telling them because he exists in the moment we saw at the start of the episode in the teaser he exists in this moment yes of of losing jennifer and even though it's been three years since since that moment since that day and even though since we've seen ben be a a regular human being getting by and getting a new job and raising a son he like because of his grief still exists in that moment and yeah his oh go ahead
1: as I was going to say, his physical body is changing jobs and moving, but his paw is still on the USS Saratoga.
0: And it's just like it's it's such it's such a great Star Trek thing to me, because it explains or explores, maybe not explains, but explores is a better word one of the contradictions about the human experience right and like yes time is linear yes we know our actions have consequences and we live with the consequences and and time keeps flowing even when it it feels like it it doesn't like maybe the last year has felt in a lot of our lives right yeah for sure um but we still exist in these these memories and these moments of whether it be grief or triumph and it's just it's such an interesting seemingly logical contradiction about our reality as, as humans, as people. Um Yeah, it just it's just cool and like thinking about it gives me like goosebumps a bit. And they're they're able to come to this this understanding and you know the wormhole, and we've mentioned yet, you know, ends seventy thousand light years away from the Bajoran sector in the unexplored Gamma Quadrant, so that presents opportunities for new storytelling. The Cardassians try to take it, but they're they're able to not, and the the prophets or the wormhole aliens like kick them out, and it's just this is like the shit. That like gets me really excited and gets me like really introspective and gives me goosebumps and I think this is one of the things that I like the most about Deep Space Nine is really that exploration of humanity and I I use humanity in like the broad sense because we have lots of non-human characters you know on on this show too but just.
1: Because- I just thought of uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I just thought of the undiscovered country when um, um, I don't remember if it was. I think Bones maybe says when the Klingons are on board having dinner, and he says human rights, and she and she's like, and the Chancellor's daughter is like, the very word is racist because yeah, like they're true. not human. I was thinking too, no worries, no worries. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but no, like just how,
0: how, like because the station doesn't go anywhere
1: after this episode (laughs)
0: right but like it just like that like it just that's that's the stuff that works for me and it's like not just exclusive to deep space nine i think to varying degrees various different episodes and the other 700 and some that exist of of star trek do it too but it's just that's the real like thematic stuff that makes me a star trek fan and it's what i enjoy and i think the flavor in which deep Space 9 does it a lot of the time or even like the contradiction of are these prophets or are these just wormhole aliens like that's that's the shit that gets me excited
1: i kind of i kind of like the meta commentary when he's explaining the the baseball game to them mm-hmm. and he says the game wouldn't be worth playing if we knew what was to happen next and they don't understand the value of ignorance of what's to come and it i just felt like they were they were also talking about like you know people watching the show for the first time and how you have no idea what's gonna happen i mean we do because we've seen (laughs) it but (laughs) but like the fact like i just felt that that was like a really meta comment cuz they're going to, you know, ex- explore the day by day and that seems to be what the show might might be or
0: they're hoping it'll be so. at this point, right? Yes, of course. What it could be. Yes.
1: <laughs> I liked that they in the conversation about, you know, there's consequences to all of to every action. That they recognize that not every consequence has – you're not ready for every consequence based on past experiences. So obviously, you know, your your wife dying in a battle is not the same as someone being sick and dying and you having time to prepare. Not that that is – in any way i don't mean to say that that's not also traumatizing and horrible but it's the prophets just say none of your past experience have prepared you for this consequence like that he didn't he didn't know how to move on without jennifer and that's not his fault Not that anyone is saying there's fault, but like there's reasoning behind the fact that he hasn't been able to move on. You know, we need to work. Therapy is good, people. That's all I'm saying. And I think he got a lot of therapy in that wormhole. I cried a lot during those scenes. I found it to be very emotional.
0: I'm looking at your notes on the screen. Oh, yeah. And like, just mm-hmm. based on this conversation and everything else, like what is really just like sticking out to me um, is the idea of like, where the prophets or the wormhole aliens reminds us to look for solutions from within and just how yeah. like, yeah, it just, it, it really, you're, you're exactly right. It just really is space therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I just think that's, that's, that's it's it's rad and i think i know the episode had a lot of heavy lifting to do in terms of introducing all these characters and you know as we just kind of as quickly as possible tried to try to check in with with everyone else and and kind of hit the major major things we wanted to in the the pilot but just that that wormhole stuff once once stack kind of gets sent back to the station and it's just cisco and the wormhole aliens i think that's when this episode really shines for me and it's it's great yeah and i, I like my tone
1: i loved it my tone
0: has even changed and now i'm all pensive because we're, we're talking about it so <sighs> so no it was i think
1: it's interesting because i watched you know i watched it um sometime last year or i don't even remember if it, it might have been fall 2019 um, and then I watched the rest of the series last year. So I I actually watched you know, watched this episode twice before our um, before today when we're discussing it. And I I was worried about watching a ninety minute episode back to ba- you know a day after I had just watched it. And I have to tell you, the second time I watched it this week, I found it even more gripping than the first time. This episode just gets better and better with rewatch
0: i i totally agree i totally agree
1: hmm. and um to move on to something that we might also agree on <laughs> we have um or before we get to that did you have any other thoughts Nope, we're good you can can transition okay yeah. So, we have um, a couple of regularly scheduled sections, segments, whatever you want to call them, that we're going to be doing on this podcast. Um, The first is the Altair Thirst Quencher. Um, It's where we, you know, parse out who's hot and who's hotter from the cast. (laughs) Um, Personally, I was very into Cisco's beach attire Mm -hmm. from when... He went back to that scene where he met Jennifer for the first time. The V-neck top and the cute little shorts that were very tight on him. It reminded me of when we um, watched the pilot of Enterprise and we saw Archer in his little underwear. (laughs) Anyway, that was wonderful. Avery, Avery Brooks is lovely. But yeah, it was great. And I also, I think um, Kira is just so badass that she's just, she's, she's so hot. I can't take it. <laughs> and how she's always threatening everybody. I'm like, step on me, please.
0: <laughs> no, so far we're, we're two for two. Um, yeah. We're, we're two for two I, um, for who li- yeah. my list was on my
1: list. <laughs> i'm gonna get ahead um later in the notes matt was like oh we have the same taste and i'm like we've been friends for two and a half years like did you not know this <laughs> i mean i i suspected um
0: yeah and like i guess too who else i thought was quite attractive was jillian bashir he is cute but he really annoyed me this week for a myriad of reasons so it's like it knocked him down a couple of attractive pegs for me in this episode, but yeah, uh, for sure. You know, maybe maybe when he's not being all that. settler colonialist, he can be hot again. And <laughs> I mean, Jet Z is pretty cute too. Uh,
1: her smile. Although I think I grow to like her personality more as we get to know her more.
0: I think so, and I and I think part
1: and I think her. I think it adds because she is. As I said earlier, she's very strong and you don't, you don't fuck with her. The women on the show are, you don't, you don't mess with them. It's great.
0: Well, that's like the song says. It's hot. That's like the song says you, you don't, don't mess around with Jim Kroshi or the women of Deep Space Nine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I didn't know that song.
0: I think it's a Jim crochet song. I have to look that up, otherwise I might cut that joke out.
1: No, yeah, I don't know who that is. There's a lot of things I don't know. Cut
0: this out. It's fine.
1: It's great. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, I, I. You don't have to cut it. It's fine. it's fine. Also, it's fine. I'm fully admitting it. It's fine.
0: And then our our final regular segment that we have after our our thirst quencher is the the most Star Trek moment. So Elise, who is your nominee for the most Star Trek moment of the episode?
1: I kind of cheated. I like to cheat by picking more than one thing. But um, I, it, first and foremost, having Picard be being in the intro and having it be a spinoff with a previous Star Trek cast member being in the episode felt, was obviously very Star Trek. As you said earlier, that happened with TNG and I, I believe it happens with Voyager also. But I haven't seen that. Yeah, Quarks in the pilot. That's awesome. What was your um moment?
0: I alluded to it before, but it's it's all the stuff in the wormhole with you know, the wormhole aliens, prophets and, and Cisco. But I think more specifically like the concept of like the wormhole aliens and this idea of like a alien species that's like a super being or has godlike powers that learn something from humanity and and all of that stuff. So that's just that's a very star trek for me like even all the way back to like original series had episodes like that like apollo is a character on star trek the greek god is a character on on star trek right <laughs> I love it. so that that kind yeah. of felt like a callback there and i oh
1: uh, that's a fun episode um i de- my my next one's not really a most star trek moment but a most I'll say, a sentimental deep space nine moment is the quote from the <clears throat> from the episode. In a linear existence, we can't go back to the past to get something we left behind, and just some just the words we left behind are very deep space nine to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Elise, until next time, where can listeners find more of you on the internet?
1: Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you can find the show at Podwraiths, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S, on Twitter and Instagram.
0: And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at at MattyHue. M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also catch me and two of our other friends talking about Mad Men on our Mad Men podcast, Still Great Bob. Please rate and review the show on the podcasting system of your choice. Thank you as well to DJ Empirical for our theme song. I think we
1: did it. We did.
0: Tune in next week for us to talk about Season
1: 1, Episode 2. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Until next time, computer and program. Bye.